And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. to another episode of the Two Medics Podcast. My name is Imran Ashka. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Dusha Gunawardner. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. And today we have a very special guest with us. You know what? I know where you live outside of London. I'm gathering that much. You're far away, outside of London, anything outside of London. As soon as you go beyond the A25, I'm like, yeah, I don't know where you are, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hi, I'm Stephen Makin. I'm an academic geriatrician, but I live and work in Wick, which you won't have heard of. It's a bit north of Watford, or you're a bit <laughs> south of Watford. So, well, I can see Auckland from my window. Um, oh, wow. We're the most northerly mainland hospital in the UK. That's we cover John O'Groats. So, do you get a lot of Lyme disease, or what's the... We do actually get Lyme disease. We get, like, Lyme disease in... But, I think when I worked in cities with people who maybe thought they had Lyme disease and didn't have any exposure and then it was always negative. But yeah, in my first clinic ever, I had a positive Lyme test. Yeah, when I WhatsApp the GP, because that's the way we roll, um, she was like, oh God, I'm so sorry I referred you something so simple. I normally always remember to check the line. We do get Lyme disease. Amazing. <laughs> we have the National Lyme Laboratory in Inverness, I think. Yeah, cool. Are you from around there or do you choose, you, because it's related to the tweet you said earlier. So yeah, yeah tell us about yourself and how you ended up. Oh, I'm so far away, yeah. You're far away from me, so. I mean, that's true, yeah. all relative. No, but everything's around London, so everything outside yeah. the tower, yeah. So that's weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't sure when Georgie's wouldn't let me in, I just thought, sorry, no, I had an incredibly negative reaction to London. Well, I'm never going there again. No, I was. <laughs> my previous life, I, a lot of people work in rural hospitals or from rural areas, or, but my, I'm from near Liverpool. I trained in Birmingham and I then did my registrar training in Scotland. And a few years ago, I was the clinical lecturer in geriatrics in Glasgow. And in fact, I was the TPD, didn't send the clinical lecturer to a DGH because of course you're going to end up in a teaching hospital. That, I think that policy got changed quite quickly after I left. So mm. I ended up, we were renting in Edinburgh. We knew we should buy somewhere, but we really loved the house we were renting. And we randomly saw a lighthouse cottage in the window of an estate agent in Edinburgh. And we went in to inquire, but we didn't, we walked to the bank, realized it was closed, walked back, but thought, figured we could probably do it as a, maybe could carry on living where we are, do the holiday cottage. And it had sold, but she said, actually, that was done free. So at the other end of the country. Sorry, still north of Watford. So the country's kept moving north. Yeah. I just kept moving north, but I don't think I'm going to go to the islands. I don't think I'm going to go to Warmley. Um, <laughs> and Chet, I kind of like Shetland, but yeah. And then, should you want to go on the lighthouse mailing list? Well, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> when we first brought this, our first plan was to, I was still at that point thinking I'm going to end up in academic drug and teaching hospital because I done a PhD. I, in geriatrics, you don't do a PhD to get a consultant job. 
you get a consultant job by having a CCT and a pulse. And sure. it's negotiable on one of them. You have no idea. As a registrar, you have no idea how much in demand you are until actually now. I, we've got the job plans planned for all our registrars when they become consultants. They don't know it yet. Yeah. And actually, even in the teaching hostel, I believe it was expected I would take a job that then told me, by the way, we're not, we'll re, they, they time the job advert for when you were, whoever was in six months. Yeah. I mean, yeah no, everyone knows that. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But I also applied to do an intermediate fellowship with the Wellcome Trust, which would have been back in Edinburgh. At that time, I was commuting from Edinburgh to Glasgow. And ju I just had a bad day. Yeah. And I knew there was a hospital near our holiday. We were just doing a lighthouse, the holiday cottage. We were going to just carry on living in Edinburgh. You know, thought we should have some property. Not awful, but we figured we should own a property, even though we really loved yeah. the cottage we rented. And then we noticed, I noticed it was the hospital, but I knew about the Royal Generals because we've been to Shetland. I'd spoken to Shetland actually about, about their <laughs> geriatric About I'd had considered going to Shetland, but they did, none of their lighthouses were in commuting distance of the hospital, actually. Oh, no. What a nightmare. People do factor that in enough, do they? <laughs> yeah, they don't. They really don't. Uh, I hadn't realised I brought one of the, the only lighthouse cottages in non-resident on call distance in the hospital. And then when I realised that, I ended up tweeting the medical director of NHS Highlands. Isn't it? Um, I didn't. And I just said, just out of interest, will you be advertising jobs in case nurse because I'm an ST6? Yeah. And I brought a house near the hospital. What I maybe didn't realise was that was like covering myself in me and walking into a lion pet. Cat is lovely. But they hadn't actually had a consultant for four years. They were four consultants. And the last one left in 2016. And then the trainees were all removed because they're not supervised them. Wow. Is that on the verge of the hospital being closed? And then a registrar just buys a house near their hospital. I was going to be really honest. I said, I'll apply to a welcome trust for a clinical lecture job. I, this is a B plan if I don't get it. Mm. And then she emailed me and said, could we make this a senior lecture job? And I spoke to her and she was lovely. And I explained about academic job careers. She said, that's awful. We just give you a permanent job in the NHS. Why do you have to keep applying for funding? Um, mm. And they managed, so they agreed to fund some of my research. So I got a I did actually have a tenured senior lecturer job, which most people don't get straight out of CCT. Affiliated with who? Aberdeen. Ah, uh, okay. It's amazing. It's a four and a half hour drive away, but... <laughs> yeah, but no, it's hardly local, is it? At what point did, like, lighthouses become part of your PDP? Because that seemed to be a really important point and <laughs> part of history. Well, that was about... <laughs> what? We had the lighthouse... I read the lighthouse keeper's lunch when I was a kid, and... I think in 2007, we went on holiday to one of the lighthouses in Shetland. We had a lovely time. And I remember then thinking, it'd be amazing to be a consultant and live in a lighthouse, but it's never going to work. I'm not sure I see that connection. You know, as far as dreams go. I think it was just around the time I was, let's go to order. It was around the time I was just starting my specialty training. So I was deciding, did I want to hospital medicine or did I want to be a GP or did I want to do something else? So I was thinking a lot about, where I wanted to be. And I, but I remember thinking, yeah, I think I do want to be a hospital consultant. Didn't know about Joe Wasn't sure what type, but I do remember saying to my wife, the Joe, that the idea that I could just live here, it was Sumber Lighthouse in Chet, which is actually too far away to be on call at Gilbert Bade. Yeah. But then we went, we kept going back to lighthouses for holidays. I don't know. Most lighthouses have four houses, but they were built with three houses because they'd be three lighthouse keepers. 
Mm. Most of them are holiday cottages. A lot of them are holiday cottages. So we had a few holidays like that, three or four. And when you live in the central belt of Scotland, you often do go on holiday to islands. And yeah, so we've always liked lighthouses and we've really enjoyed going on holiday there. And I think realized you could actually buy one or buy the boat. I don't live in the actual tower. It's the house by the tower. We just thought, yeah, we, I really wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been, the, I started in 2019 as the first geriatrician they'd had for four years. Amazing. Wow. wow. And we could see you like, you posted a picture. So you said, so we appear to be in Scottish field and it's a picture of your kit, like your house, which looks pretty iconic. <laughs> no, 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 really. That is very cool. The only thing I ever think of my house is that TV show. Do you remember this one through show around the twist? Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. They lived in my house. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only thing I can ever think of. We obviously have the full box set. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so now that you live so close to a lighthouse, has the kind of lost, do you still go on holidays to other lighthouses or what do you do now? I don't actually go on holidays to other lighthouses. I probably would. It would be like cheating on your lighthouse. <laughs> I'd be cheating on my seabirds. I feel a bit guilty when I go to another seabird colony to go bird watching. But right. when my puffins find out that I'm looking at other puffins. To be honest, we still go on holiday to Ireland. Well, we did go to Broad this year, but my next week of annual leave, my next annual leave block. Oh, when I go on annual leave, my locum lives in my house, so. The thing is, medical staffing, and they didn't really know the difference between a geriatrician and a physician. The first time I went on holiday, I had an acute physician who kind of couldn't work out what to do when they didn't get better in 48 hours. And we had a lot of So I came back to find everyone was waiting for a care home, and I had to kind of explain that wait, it takes more than 48 hours to get better after a stroke. Um, so, yeah, I met a few, few people I know who we swap houses. I, haven't, I don't stand there. Really? That's amazing. That's amazing. But it's quite common. GPs used to do that all the time. Even on the island GPs, if you cover their locum for their holiday, you get their house. And what is it like some sort of medical Airbnb? What is that? You're using your house because you're out. So yeah, fair enough. And uh, we've got, it used to be two houses. So we've got, in five, we don't, you've got Spain. Yeah. In Highland, it's normal. If I'm going to Aigmore, I usually stay in a colleague's spare room. But even Aberdeen found that a bit odd when I, they come up and say, oh, do you want to stay in my house? And they go, no, I'll stay in a hotel. I'm not weird. But... <laughs> For those who are listening, Aberdeen is a place that's really north of London. It's somewhere. Yeah, really. Right? Yeah, it's somewhere outside yeah. London. Yeah. Just think of it. It's all outside London. <laughs> it's funny because it's some of these tweets that we, that we posted in our kind of list are so unrelatable for you. There's this one from Jenny Pusey that says what really improves staff wellbeing. She basically is talking about NHS managers who storm into the middle of your afternoon handover to ask why we're not recording breaks in our monitoring forms. And when we were talking about it yesterday, you're like, we just don't get behavior like that. Tell us, so, so your experience with NHS managers, I guess, is different. Yeah, I'm aware that all the certain bullying scandal in NHS Highland, which is interesting because people are incredibly polite. They're the opposite of Glasgow. In Glasgow, it was normal to use the F word in a consultant's meeting. You just right, wouldn't yeah. minute it. You'd put dog tracks, express their displeasure, proposal. <laughs> yeah, no. Just try doing the minutes. It would make sense, yeah. <laughs> and maybe not a consultant's meeting because I've realized that might be giving it away. <laughs> Highlanders do not swear. Allegedly. They're yeah. super. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Highlanders very rarely swear. They're super polite. If they disagree with you, they just won't do it. They'll tell you, they won't say no. They just won't say yes. They'll just ignore relatives, won't say, I'm not unhappy with your plan to take, to send, discharge my mum. They just won't pick them up. <laughs> they won't challenge you. They just don't tell up. Is it a situation where everyone knows everyone? If the man who walks in to be rude, you know what? I'm going to tell your mum. 
<laughs> yeah, I've looked after relatives of everyone, uh, for most of them, I mean, most people live. If your family's local, I'm probably going to be involved in looking after your older relatives. And that is a bit strange, but you get used to it and you're public and private side. So manage at the end, now, I think just because you all know each other, you're not going to storm into a meeting and be rude to someone because you're going to need their help later. And that just seems crazy. But people do get upset, even if you, the manager said, obviously, yeah, manager was not. I've had situations where the manager came in to talk to the nurses about something and she was super polite and everything. So it made politely and kindly, but they were still re- felt it was unfair and were really upset. And they probably reacted the same way as Jenny did when they stormed in and said, why aren't you recording your breaks? Even though they said, please and thank you, but they were still saying, I'm not happy with what's going on. But even, I've noticed even in the central part of Scotland, people are just a bit nicer to each other. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think Scotland is... I hate to say this, and I'm probably going to get evicted by the SNP. <laughs> but I think we just forget how big London is. The population of Scotland's 5.4 million, and lots of them are doctors. Hmm. And I'll just say to Google London population, but I think it's actually, oh yeah, so London's nearly 9 million. So yeah, basically half the size of London, the country. So any doctor you interact with, you're likely to come across again. Hmm. So you're... Even just taking referrals from A&E, anyone you're rude to, you'll meet again. So it's better to not be rude to them. Yeah. So it's the idea of comeuppance. Like if, if you've got a bit of comeuppance that could come back your way, you're going to be more polite. Yeah. Or they're, they're just people that mm. I think it's partly comeuppance, but it's partly that your consultant, the S11, you might be rude to on a bad day will be your consultant colleague in five years' time. I mean, you'd wish that would make a difference, but I did radiology training and allegedly it didn't matter if you're going to be a consultant colleague in five years' time, they'll still be a bit mean. I don't know why that is. It's very weird. Yeah. We did have a friendly neurosurgeon once and we thought they were going to get, and they disappeared, so I assume they got suffer just be, not being rude enough to refer us. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. In radiology training, you just get taught how to be rude to juniors. I mean, to be fair, my radiologist is always really nice. They have to be the mum. If you if you're falling awake, I'll probably treat your parents. So. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I think one of the tweets I uh, piqued interest in me was Hassan Ali Beg, a former guest who I'm sure we'll have back again. He did you see this one? He said, "Sent to me by a friend. Imagine turning up to a night shift to be greeted by this inspirational quote: Do you need help repositioning patients? Said no doctor ever. And it's in those very short sentences. It's what you were talking about, Stephen Sands, lovely, where everyone seems quite nice to each other. But you walk into a ward like this or wherever you may be working, you see something like that, it immediately gets you, gets your mind into gear. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Stephen is always, are you always repositioning patients? I've, I have been known to help reposition a patient. Oh, well, um, okay. okay. But then the nurses will just do a point and ask, they'll do it wrong. Like most geriatricians, I had a part-time job in a care home. I, as far as I can tell, all geriatricians had a great relationship with their grandparents. <laughs> probably worked in a care home during medical school and occasionally you can tell because they'll do things like just help them list transfer patient i wouldn't say i've offered to help reposition patients and been told i tried to help and been laughed at for not doing it very well realized it was a long time since i could do it i just think this it just seems that and i have you know working i've worked in environments like this there's some places where it just feels like the Everyone goes into little factions. There's a doctor faction and a nurse faction, and the nurses get annoyed with the doctors by being rude to them because they're rude to them. 
and they don't take them seriously. And the doctors get annoyed with the nurses because they bleed them over nothing. And then it gets into we, you know, doctors in their role for to help with reposition patients. It's over. Do they even know how many wards the doctor's covering on call? Yeah. And I've had issues, not issues, but I've had to do some coaching for some of our nurses. Like it, we only have one doctor overnight, but we're only covering 40 beds in an ED, which has, if the doctor says they're too busy, it's okay to call them back in an hour's time and say, I've still got a sick patient. They mm -hmm. can't expect them to remember. They might have forgotten. And if you're really worried and they can't come, you can escalate it. Mm -hmm. but it's always like they're too scared to, some of them have maybe an issue being a bit too scared to say, speak up and say, I really need a hand. Yeah. What do you think's happened with this sign though? Do you think that they, do you think, do you think they know that doctors are going to read it? In which case that's a bit aggressive, isn't it? And then I think they know doctors are good. I don't know where it is though. If it's in. It's definitely not the Scotland. Why not? I can think of places it would be. There are some wards where it has fallen apart to that extent, I think. Um, oh, I'm not reading. Okay. But in, certainly there's a few wards in. I'm not going to say which hospital. There were some wards in big hostels where the relationship fallen apart, but yeah. mm -hmm. it's a bit rare in Scotland. But yeah, in big hostel, it's full. I was looking at that. I'm going to click on it now. I suspect that was either someone got really pissed off with doctors. I think so. And there probably wasn't. Let's face it. I'm. There are some. Am I going to get cancelled here? There are some junior doctors who, and I may be. I don't know if I was one of them, who have a bit of an attitude. Mm -hmm. and do talk down to nurses and do patronize them and don't not all of them and there's many nurses who treat doctors equally badly often it's two sides of the same coin and it's almost like somebody there are some times when you're really struggling to reposition a patient you know, I don't know maybe and the doctor's just sat standing there not offering to help and you're like why did you not offer to help me yeah but why on earth put and they haven't really thought it through that blaming all doctors isn't going to help the working relationship. Yeah. You'd be much more mature to take the phone and say, look, you, know, you saw me struggling with that massive obese patient and I'm tidy. Why the could you have just offered to come and help? But then, yeah. well, I think Felicia again made a very good point that I do, do actually follow these days. If you, there's a job you don't want to do it badly, and so then no one asks you to do it again. <laughs> you learn a little bit terrible advice. Oh God. Yeah, you take my good advice and take your bad ones. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, yeah, but genuinely, there are some things I'm not very good at. I've had a situation where I've had a patient being brought into ultrasound, and I think, well, let me just put them onto the bed, and it's just been a complete comedy show of like me almost tripping up like you almost taking my shoulder it's just yeah, yeah. yeah oh no this way the chuckle brother literally is like, to me to me and then it's just and i think after those kind of occasions i think what i truly don't know what i'm doing in the situation i'm not going to be getting involved in that and i think sometimes you feel bad for not getting involved but yeah. i don't know mate it's just uh, yeah not worth it. yeah the difference between saying i'll do that for you and can you tell me what i need to do to give you a hand True, but I think it takes some balls to even do that. So I think it is a bit easy, though, to crap on medical students or junior doctors for being kind, because there is obviously this kind of like cultural stereotype that you're obviously in like shows like ER and stuff. And I'm not like, obviously, you're going to get people like that. Like you'll get dickheads in every walk of life. I just look mm. convinced that I necessarily, if you think about the average type of person who does medicine, oh, I don't know. Generally, I do think there are lots of people who do believe that they want to help people. But I remember seeing when I was in, when I was doing like an A&E shift and there was this person, like when they hear that, can we get up over here? And someone had slumped and it was like, I think it was a day after a changeover. Yeah. And literally there were two fresh 
sort of like fresh out of the box, like you could sm the new F1 smell <laughs> out of them. And they were like pinned against the wall, like away from this people. They literally, they were like maybe five yards, but they're pinned against the wall, like frightened up. And I, uh, and uh, I remember, so obviously this patient just, she was about to have a cannula and fainted. But mm. I think, and this nurse to me afterwards, like, oh, those, those two new doctors, they did nothing. They did nothing. But let's be honest, they just shut themselves. And it was like, in this situation, we were like, what do you do? I don't know. Someone told us that there's so many like barriers and so many, I just like wonder though, <laughs> it's easier sometimes, like sometimes when you're in a situation, you can just let yourself sit in the background. Sometimes you just don't want certain people around. Like we had this one, okay, allegedly, we <laughs> had a colleague and they were the worst person to have in any sort of high pressure environment ever but they loved it they loved it and i think then they did order and it turned out this particular person may have been attributed to bringing out the crash trolley multiple times when they didn't really get needed like they just seemed to conjure up a horrible like crap and i kind of heard about this but i didn't really know where to believe until one day so this allegedly may have happened where someone was going to get a cannula print in for a scan and the daughter was with them and the daughter fainted and then straight away there's big fuss and big shouting and screaming and then he or she ran in and i've got i've had to put two candies in this pain to the daughter because they've got bilateral median palsy i'm like sorry yeah and i said these things just don't make any sense like what do you got and then you're like grabbing this trolley and that trolley and it was just complete. and i thought this is not the kind of person some things just leave to someone who knows what they're doing what specialty are they? Honestly, if I'm talking about radiologists, where do you think they are? I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was just that sometimes you just don't need, some help is not needed. And I was feel like in these situations, trust me, you don't want my help in this situation. If you're going to lift the patient up, you go for it, reposition, because I'm going to get this wrong and I'm going to get in trouble. Well, there's a thread from Stephen where he was talking about being helpful. Was, uh, so you, to quote Stephen, so at Stephen Macon, and it was on the 23rd of 2019, I've seen lots of threads about how to phone the reg, how to That's organize right. your thoughts, know what you're asking in a structured way. Like, here's a thread about how to be the med reg getting those calls, which is like a nice slide on things. Are you able to sum it up for us, Stephen? That's a good threat. Um, That's worth revisiting. Yeah, I suppose at the time, I, I think I've seen someone quote yet another thread about I don't want to be annoy the med reg when I need help. But actually, part of the job of being the med reg is you're responsible for the sick people. And sometimes you are going to get mm -hmm. calls saying, I don't know what to do to help. And you've got to work out enough to be able to manage that situation safely. And you've got to be able to mm -hmm. get enough information to try and be able to ascertain what's going on in front of the person who's melting at the other side of the hospital prioritize it against the rather sick person you're with and try and manage both of them. And I almost think, I can't remember who said it, but some people seem to think that reviewing a patient is like a reward for doing a good SBAR handover. And really it's not. You mm. still need to go and see the patient, whether or not you get a great handover, a great ask request for help, or just someone won't panic yeah and you need to try and the more you do doing on call you can't just go and see them immediately because you're with someone else or you're 20 minutes away so you just have to got a way of i think what but they're just asking a number of very closed questions try and get some basic information to get a visual idea of what's going on oh, sure I, I think we do too much of the how to do a great how not to annoy orthopedics by get or how not to annoy the specialty by giving this very specific information in your referral and actually, I'm sorry, it's that if you're taking referrals, it's your job to ask for the right information. You cannot expect everyone to give you 
exactly what you need because if they knew that they would be doing your job and just be polite to them. Yeah, I agree. And so I've always said that when someone calls me up and they say, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, that's what I'm here for. And just say what you want and then just move on. There's no need to be sorry because I'm getting this part of my job to get phone calls, to take these referrals, to ask these questions and stuff like that. But I don't know, maybe people are being polite or, but I, I agree with what you say as well. Like where, even though someone does a terrible referral and they get a scan, they feel good about getting the scan, which I don't think is always the best thing. I don't think it's a marker of success or a successful referral, but it could actually be a marker of a bad referral. Cause you, well, you know what, I'll just get let it through because I brought Well, that's the thing. Like, one of my, yeah. yeah. One of my bosses says something along the lines of, if you get a really good referral, it means you need to see the patient. But if you mm. get a really bad referral, that means what the hell's going on with that patient? You need to see that patient. Mm. In a way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm the same, isn't it? Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. I think actually, you do have to get enough information in a referral to advise how to manage the patient appropriately. And sometimes you do need to just ask a bit more information because you can't come in and see every patient overnight. You do have to just yeah. give phone advice occasionally. Or you know, maybe I mean, just do one night when you can, but you do. It kind of brings us on nicely to another tweet by Parody RCGP, the OG. If a GP referral is rejected, then how should this be conveyed to us? Here's my, here's what? Here's on my back of the envelope. Oh, okay. Okay. My back of the envelope suggestions. It must be a GMC clinician to say no. A reason for rejection from a list of LMC ICS approved reasons. Copy the letter to the patient, patient-friendly words, what else? I'm not, so I, th I guess the implication of this GMC clinician thing, is that because they're no. upset that if it gets sent back by a secretary or something? Yeah, that might be it, right? Looking for keywords. It's a clinical decision. Maybe that's what it is. Rejecting referrals is a clinical decision. And you shouldn't be delegating it to a non-clinician, is what they say. I, but there's a spectrum, isn't there? There's a, look, I once got a referral and I looked at it. The old age psychiatrist on our patch, his first name is also begins with M. And I was pretty sure from mm. his referral, they typed the wrong name because the details of the mm. urgent referral with psychosis were nothing to do with mm. me. So I could have just rejected oh, him and uh, said, hang on, this is clearly not for me. Or I could have said, okay, I'll see mm. him in my urgent clinic, establish it. But even if I'd seen him in my urgent clinic, this patient referred for this referral probably needed seeing. I thought fairly urgently by a psychiatrist and mm -hmm. it just looked and it had been, the letter had been signed, PP'd by a secretary and the GP secretary because for, for, for speed or something, they didn't even put type sent in the absence of signing for speed. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. the name here is a typing error. And I don't think accepting that referral and establishing for my own, making my own clinical judgment, this patient was not needed to be seen a psychiatrist was the right thing to do. And I know not everyone can actually accept the psychiatrist and say, are you having your allocation meeting this morning? You need to look at, I'm going to just text you. You have kind numbers. I'm going to send you an email you need mm -hmm. to look at. And fortunately we managed to get the referral to the psychiatrist that day. Cause he's only up only with psychiatrist for three days a week. If I hadn't seen him that day, it would have been another four days and it actually was fine. But. You do have to put referrals to the wrong person. It's probably best of cutting to the right person. And you've got this weird English stick, haven't you? <laughs> it's really the first stage, isn't it? The thing is, like, I find that, I don't know whether you guys have noticed this, but when someone does a referral, they get offended if it gets rejected. Like, that's the initial media reaction. They get on the defensive about why you're going to say no to it. And then it becomes about how you say no. And obviously, if you just, I don't know, send a cancellation letter that looks like a generic cancellation letter, then they feel like, 
pretty disrespected. And I know now that if I do reject something, I've got to try and explain why I don't think it's a good idea. But have you felt that as well? If you yeah. do, if you do find something that you've asked for rejected, you feel like, hey, hang on, mate, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Explain yourself right now. I think the way that it's difficult, isn't it? I think that the, I think if you're approaching something in an adversarial way, and I think it depends on like how much you think is like riding on this kind of request or whatever. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like that a lot less now as a registrar because I'm like, if the radiology reg or whatever is, oh, this is just not appropriate. This and this, I'm like, okay, whatever. I just don't see, uh, but some people have really strong views about what it is that needs to be, needs to happen right there and then. And I'm really like, it happens, it happens in those in cardiology. There's lots of things that people are like, oh no, you need to come and do this thing right now. Because I'm so, mm. I'm like, this is so right this second. There's like everything else you need, you need to stop doing. You need to come right now. And I find that really difficult to manage those expectations because I think the level of anxiety, like the level of what people think is like urgent cardiology is very different to perhaps what I might think it is. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to manage it. It's really tough. And what I find is that I start to use the word mate a lot. I'm like, mate, like, uh, just kind of really false, like trying to be like buddies or whatever. But essentially it is re it's really tough because with, within two seconds, you'll be labeled as like obstructive. And, that's and I, sometimes at the end, it's just I'm exhausted. And I remember being, saying to one of my consultants afterwards, like, I saw all these, and he's, these all sound really inappropriate. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know what? To try and explain why I didn't need to see that person. It's just so t t it's time consuming in itself. I'm probably just better off going and writing something in the notes and seeing it. Because it's the same, same for us, mate, honestly. I just let it, it's like a ten, five minute, 10 minute scan, just get it done. Like I'm not going to have a long conversation about it. Stephen, do you find yourself getting to referrals just because you can't bother for the longer conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, your, your, your referrals must be really long conversations. I'm not referrals from myself. <laughs> referrals from GPs, I, I know, know most of the GPs, so I usually, I'm the only geriatrician, so who else are they going to refer to? I occasionally get referrals that seem a bit odd, and I'll usually just email the GP and say, can we have a chat about this? And then when they explain it, if we do get, they either get people who I think they actually should go to the single organologist rather than the geriatrician, but what they haven't put in the referral to is this patient, it's a five hour round trip to the single organologist. And they can't work near me because they're old. So it's video consulting. So quite often mm -hmm. you get, it's this patient's totally inappropriate for you, but you're the only person that agreed to see. So good luck. We don't take referrals from ED. If they think they need to admit a patient under medicine, they just write their name and a blue pen on the board. And if they think they need surgery, they put them in a red pen. If they're not sure, we do alternate letters and we both see them on the post take and then worked out so and then they had, just, you can imagine the fun and games that can be had like just change the pen color and just see who gets to see that patient brilliant <laughs> i have loads of fun with that you use green pen everyone's confused oh don't cut the chaos if you change the pen color but then they present referrals in the morning to both consultants and we'll just say why did you think that was medical it's surgical and the surgeons don't <laughs> the surgeons don't want to do so they're usually quite keen to see patients Oh, the fun I could have in your hostel, mate. I'd be like the demon radiologist going around and changing all the pens and <laughs> telling all your mums on you. We don't have radiologists, so it's like... Oh, you outsourced, are you? No, we they in the life. Probably even shoot state. This isn't brilliant. I feel like you live in the life I wish I had. <laughs> what, what? You don't have radiologists. That's brilliant. So we have an ultrasonographer every other Tuesday. Other than that, they're in Inverness. And if we need the duty radiologist, it is a case of bringing another hospital and saying, can I find the duty radiologist? And fortunately, most of them know me. And I did my PhD in stroke imaging. My supervisor was a yeah. radiologist. 
So once I name drop the best, they tend to take me seriously. Usually they will. I think this sounds amazing. Uh, but you know, the last, I have had an MRI requested and I got an email from the radio and said, is this really going to alter your management? I thought about that. You know what? It's not actually. I'll see the patient and see you bit. <laughs> And um, see how they're doing and go back to you. They didn't need doing, but mostly I just have patients. A lot of the patients don't want to go to Inverness. Yeah. And this, this is amazing to me because first of all, you live under like, obviously this may have happened or when I went for my job, I don't think there were any other applicants. So it was like, if you don't hire me, then oh, there's no one else here. You have to give me the job. This sounds like pretty much amazing. And then you're saying that you're really going to just bail you around as a normality. This is brilliant. Maybe I should just transfer across or something. Or maybe I can work remotely. I don't know. Might have to look into that. What about you through to Unstead now? Moving on. We need interventional cardiology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that, that, I guess me doing all my shenanigans in a place like yours will probably get me blocked very quickly or cancelled. And which kind of brings us on to Tanya's tweet this week. And she said, at least you guys, so she was from my WhatsApp groups, wasn't she? And she said, at least you guys only get blocked. I had a surprise removal from a certain ED WhatsApp group. So getting removed from, forcibly removed from a WhatsApp group can be quite an emotive thing, it seems. Uh, as a, well, Stephen, it sounds like it might not happen to you. Do you know what the backstory to that is? No, tell me. What? Oh God, mate. I don't, how much of this can we mention? So there's a, the registrar's ED consultant. So there, there is a consultant who basically de- developed a certain infamy and uh, he went on this kind of like blocking rampage, but then everyone he blocked, he'd be like surreptitiously, surreptitiously viewing from possibly from alts because he'd screenshot people he'd blocked and then mm. post them on the timeline. And he I got blocked really like ages ago, I think, because I don't, I don't even, yeah, anyway, got blocked ages ago. And she was saying that not only did she get blocked, she got removed from WhatsApp group, which is to do with local. So she's like, oh, I guess they don't want me in the bank anymore. <laughs> so it just shows that there's a, oh, wow. people are quite petty, I believe. I think I know who you're talking about. Probably shouldn't say the name. Yeah. Yeah. They've been quite problematic, unfortunately, for themselves, I guess, on, on Twitter. Can only hope they're uh, doing okay, personally. I don't see why you'd go on such massive rampages like this. Have he considered, I think he needs to become an academic and review papers for journals because you can get it all out anonymously. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I remember feeling that WhatsApp groups are quite an emotive thing. Like I remember being, when I worked at Northwick, when I worked at Chelsea, I was in their WhatsApp groups. And then I think I, I noticed that suddenly the Chelsea group went very quiet and hadn't spoken in months. And I realized, oh, I see what they've done. They've, they must've made a new group without me in it, which is fair enough. I hadn't worked there in a long time. And then the Northwick one, I'd been there for so long. And then eventually I just got sick of hearing about which patient was here and there and things turning up late and all this kind of stuff. And I left and a few people messaged me back trying to bring me back. And I remember it being like a really big deal for me because I'd been part of that group for so long. Have you guys felt like that at all? Or are you just a bit cold when it comes to this? No, no, I definitely find that. The kind of registrar WhatsApp groups in the past, some of them have been sources of really good chat. And so some of them still, a lot of them have actually died out now, sadly. But I remember when I went into research, kind of being a bit out of the loop and missing it a little bit. And then when I rejoined recently, I remember being like, I'm in this group and there's going to be banter and whatever. And literally it's like nothing. It was absolute crickets. And people just got <laughs> a message to be like, oh, I got like a dental appointment today. I'm really sorry. I'm going to be a bit late. And that's it. I'm like, that's not fun. It's really depressing. But yeah. I don't know. I think I get more from it. Then other people obviously do because they just don't feel like they need to say anything else. I'm like, all right, fair enough. But I, yeah, I, I think, think you're going to be like them. me. I think like me, I quite tried to be a bit jokey in the group and like yeah. things and stuff like that. But I guess it, the only thing I don't do is forward random stuff. Like we've got a neighborhood group and right. the lady who organized it, she keeps putting these random things in. And one day she put this thing about halal meat being like evil or something. And I was like. I don't think you realize that three of us in this group are like Muslim. Like, why would you do that? 
And so <laughs> I think a few people, I kept quiet, but then one of the other guys down the road, he said something. So I thought, well, if he said something, I'll probably should say something too. So I said something and then I think she, I don't think she even replied. She just ignored it and moved on, which is a real oh, shame, exactly. actually. She could have taken the chance to be a bit like, oh, sorry, I should. It's fair enough you have those thoughts, but you don't want to be uh, throwing around like that, which is a bit of a shame. No, fair enough. Hmm. I think how, what's that group for these weird spaces that are semi-work, semi-not work, aren't they? Mm. Like, I'm still in, yeah. and I get, I think if you're a sole practitioner, having a support network that you can talk to about things that are stressing you is really important. And mm. people who want to be sole practitioners probably shouldn't, to be honest, because you do need <laughs> people to just talk things over with. And I'm still on my registrar's WhatsApp group, but it's just become my people, I, a source of people I can talk over difficult cases with or difficult other things or difficult educational supervision things. And no one else is doing that. They occasionally post things about their kids. And I guess. Yeah. But it, and the, we started a new one because the registrar's WhatsApp groups I was on still carried on being stuff about the rotor. And then they were like, look, we, we have an old ex-registrar's WhatsApp group. But they're not work. But mm. some places there is workspaces where you're just talking mm. about work and it's quite formal. And you turn it off when you're on holiday. And for some places, they're like a mutual support club. And yeah, I find each junior doctor rotation, you know, like last, actually, the last eight months, I've not been on the junior doctor's WhatsApp, the hospital WhatsApp group, because oh, no. I like, no, I need to let the junior doctors bitch about the consultants. That's what the WhatsApp groups are for. Yeah, yeah. It's big. At what point is it embarrassing dad dancing? Yeah. But <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed when I never got invited to Wine Wednesday in the residences. I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> no. Wide Wednesday? Yeah, that two rotations ago we had Wide Wednesdays. But allegedly, I didn't. What's that? Wine Wednesday? Uh... They all got drunk on wine on a Wednesday. But now they've got a baby. No, fair enough. It's all... That's awesome. It's all gone a bit babysitting yeah. out, so yeah. they're all talking about No, um... I, I, think, I think they get problematic because it's not clear what space they are. Are they work or private? Because mm. you've got a group of mates who are a bit on PC, actually. Got on our headland WhatsApp group with a few of us, a couple of the farmers put some non PC things. But to be honest, it's only fine for us. People think if you live somewhere remote, you don't have a stream WhatsApp group. You do, it just covers four miles. And the thing is, you mentioned like kids and how they change things. There was a very interesting tweet that I think, I feel like it wasn't intended by the person that wrote it. Did you see this one? It was about, I won't say the name. It was, I got this PhD and had three kids in the middle of during my training. Cool. And this is how I did it. And they gave these. Wonderful tips and tricks. Did you see that one? The one about I got ten years. I did. I got a PhD and had six six kids in ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. That really because I saw a later tweet where the person actually apologized. Look, clearly I worded wrong. I didn't mean it like that. But it did rile up a few people, didn't it? It wasn't. And at first, I didn't see. I normally can predict where these things are going. I'll be honest with you, I didn't predict it. I didn't. But people were like the only reason you managed to have three kids and get a PhD and all that is because you've got a supportive network and all that kind of stuff. It's not just about you and how awesome you are. Yeah. And there was a subtweet to that. Did you see that? Over the past ten years, I've finished a specialty training while having three kids. A secret to keep it all under control. One small habit, it's not sexy, but essential. Simply get someone else to do as much of the parenting work for you as possible. Preferably, Preferably all of it. all of it. Yeah. That's Karen, isn't it? It's KM. <laughs> yeah. You, you know that if, if there's a man out there with some bullshit, KM <laughs> usually far away to be like, here we go. This is <laughs> just to point it out. But yeah. it, it did reek of privilege, that first tweet, because it was a bit like, here's how you can do it. 
And I think that's the kind of, I think that's the thing that kind of riled people up so much. It just, and we've deleted it. Because, yeah, yeah. it has, yeah. Good for them. Because it just reeked of privilege. It's a kind of like, pull you up, I pulled myself up on my bootstraps type thing. Mm. It doesn't acknowledge like the immense privilege that you had, which is the kind of availability, just the availability to just have a significant proportion of work just done by the white. It just seemed. Yeah, but I, I feel like we see a lot of this on Twitter and all this stuff where you get a lot of productivity gurus. And I think that when you, when I first read it, it felt like, oh, this is another one that sort of productivity things like this is how to smash it. This is how to be productive. This, and I was like, fair enough. It's another one of those. I didn't notice or predict what, you know, which is rightly said, but I just feel like, are people really that productive? I feel, I don't know about you through, actually, I do know about you through, should run this podcast together. We're a mess most of the time, yeah, very yeah. disorganized. And I can't believe that people can be disorganized. There are really that many people out there that have just got it down. who just know what they're doing. What happened to the rest of us? You just don't reply to emails at the best of times and just leave dead deadlines for the very last minute, et cetera, et cetera. There must be more of us than that, though. Yeah. I think that's most of us. I don't think it's tough, isn't it? It's really hard. And to frame it in any other way, or these are the kind of easy steps is just really reductive, but obviously it seems to, there's like a whole niche for it, isn't there? This whole kind of productivity. Yeah, and it was and all the stuff he'd mentioned was like, oh yeah, this is stuff I know. Yeah, it's like when you say if you want to be healthy, you should eat better. It's like, yeah, I know that, but I don't <laughs> because I don't. Yeah. I'm just bad at it. Yeah, cool. Was there anything else through? There's some really big topics on here, but yeah, I, I mean, like Mo Moana is a good one, no? Which was Moana? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to talk about it. it's at the bottom. So yeah. this is basically where the director of uh, Lilo Stitch was saying that they were frustrated after Frozen was praised for being a sisterhood movie. I really Frozen. I like the kind of music. And I like how Anna doesn't, is the kind of hero of the story, even though she doesn't have powers. But mm. uh, people say, oh, it's this amazing story of sisterhood. And the director of Lilo Stitch says, that's exactly what that movie was about. And mm. so people are rightly pointing out what's the main difference between the two. I think there are two that kind of spring to mind. Okay, non-parent here. What is yeah. Lilo and Stitch? Frozen is a film that people's children seem to like. Yeah. Lilo and Stitch. Oh, fair enough. So firstly... These movies can all be enjoyed by adults also. You've just got to let that inner child out. So have you tried going to the cinema to see a kid's film without a child or a man? Yeah, I saw Frozen before we had kids. Really? Did I then go to the Lego shop without my nephew? I always have to write, <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to be really embarrassed. I don't want to be this one guy at a toy shop. Uh, also, my nephew lives in Manchester, which is where the Lego shopping is. Fair enough. So my brother doesn't realize he thinks I'm doing the massive yeah. favor to him. It's like, no, but I'm just way too embarrassed to go to the toy shop without a kid. Wait, hold on. Have you seen Toy Story? When I was a child. So you've not seen Toy Story 4 then? No. You've not seen any of the other ones? No, I, I don't really watch children films. They're not children I don't films, really watch English language films. And my wife doesn't like subtitled films, so you don't really watch films. Oh, okay. You're talking to Thrusha watches. A lot of films, TV shows. He's like my go-to person for anything TV, anything. Yeah. The thing is, so Lilo and Stitch is like, it's an animated movie. So in the kind of older style, whereas Frozen's the kind of CGI, like computer generated. Okay. Yes. But Lilo and Stitch, I think one of the kind of theories is that because the characters in it are the dark skin and also that their bodies are perhaps more normal than in Frozen where they're these skinny white princesses. I think one of the, one of the kind of criticisms leveled is that Perhaps the and Stitch doesn't get that kind of cultural recognition for those reasons. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it was an interesting one because, partly because I do think Lilo and Stitch is a kind of a sleeper hit. I mean, it's really good. And I watched it again recently with Lil's and Stalls. Really? It's interesting you mentioned the whole body thing as well, because there was a TikTok, wasn't it, that came up on, on Twitter. It kind of went across platform 
And uh, it was, you have to remind me, it was like this basically's lady talking about her boyfriend. No, her husband. Oh, and okay. her husband was stacked. Her husband had some serious arms. I'm like, whoa, man, look at that dude's arms. And then she, she was a, a bigger lady, but she was commenting on the fact that people were commenting on her having a husband that was as stacked as he is. Yeah, but no, it wasn't just that, bro. Like, they were messaging her husband, being like, oh, you shouldn't be with her, you should be with me. Yeah, exactly. But, and it's really, it was really bad because then... What the hell? It was sad because as a society, they're so ingrained in us that this is the way it should be. And if something goes against it, then there's something wrong. There has to be well, some sort of explanation. Yeah, go on. True, there is that, right? But imagine also how unhappy you must be to look at a couple that are happy and be like, no, it shouldn't be that way. I should be in there. Imagine like telling on yourself in that way. I think it's really sad. And I hope she's beautiful. She's got nothing to feel insecure about, but it's so sad that there are these people who are out there like leeches who see this happy couple. And that's the negativity that like, springs to mind. Imagine that whole evil eye thing. Imagine seeing that happiness and responding with that. Sad. I remember back in school, we were, I was walking along and I think we had a, a mutual friend actually was walking a bit further ahead and I was trying to call them. And then this girl came up to me, but we, I knew this girl anyway. And she says, are you friends with that guy? And I said, yeah. And he goes, how could you be friends with him? Yeah. What do you mean? He goes, he's not very good looking, is he? And I, thought, I never even, he's never even crossed my mind. But that's when I realized, do people really think like that? Like really, they, like, they become friends with people because of the way they look. And is that, that's sad. That doesn't work, does it? I wouldn't, but I mean, clearly people do, right? It's incredibly shallow people. Just that, how yeah. bad is your life? Firstly, like, firstly, people are fetishes. And if someone's with someone, you might not think it's attractive. They obviously do, so it's not your problem. I've watched Channel 4 documentaries about people who find overweight, different body shapes attractive. So, for God's sake. Hmm. Either, but what sort of life do you have where you think, this is a product, I'm just going to do that to someone? How is that going to help? Mm. I just think it's part of the, it's almost like online. You forget people are people. Some people do. And they seem to think it's some sort yeah. of game. You can just be rude to random pixels and they might get mm. upset and it's fun. But why? Do <laughs> you, you that lacking in empathy? But I bet they're in front of you. Would you dare say that? That's the thing, isn't it? Like, why do you feel like, why does a person feel like they need to understand it? Even if you don't get it, like on the face of it, it doesn't make sense to you. Okay, whatever. Why, like, why does it have to go beyond that thought, that random thought that's in your head to tell a message to that person? I just seem so weird. You're why? right. Why are those barriers coming down and people feel like it's acceptable to speak to them on the internet? It just mm. blows my mind blows my mind uh, there was a, another like tweet along a similar vein someone had experienced a racism so like dr rad he said if anyone in chester knows this boy he posted this picture of this guy who basically unprovoked called him a dodgy old and then called him a packy and then so he put a post a picture of him and then someone called gene classic gene his behavior was wrong but did you ask permission to photograph him and post his image on social media two wrongs don't make a right what is like stirring a cauldron Hmm. It's so weird. Oh, God. Okay, I can handle racism, but posting his picture on social media, oh, my gosh, oh, that's where the line is, by hmm. God's sake. Um, yeah. And then there are some people who are like, oh, it's illegal. And then uh, actually it's not. So someone's being a douchebag in public. You can't take pictures of them, so it's fine. But social media. It, I don't know. They just seem... Yeah, it just, it's, I feel like there's a lot of, when people do take photos of this, it's like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, like when there's some sort of repercussion that could occur, at least there's some, maybe on some level, some sort of deterrent, if just not being a dick is not enough of a deterrent to 
call someone a packy or anything negative. But yeah, I just find that when someone gets called out and then someone says, oh, you should, I mean, basically they're being called out and then someone's like, don't call them out. It's not good. It's like, what do you mean? That's the whole point. And I think, I feel like this is a positive, especially, do you remember that lady that got done? There's a, there was a black guy that had a go at her because she had a dog out in this place in the park that she shouldn't have done. And she was an American lady. And then she said, well, I'm going to call the police and tell them that black man's threatening me. That's a real eye opener. Like I didn't even know that anyone would think along those lines, even on, on the D-low, like I, behind various kind of facades of personality, they've got that lurking behind them. That's what I think the internet has been a brilliant thing to understand and to know that some people have to live that or live through this up like that. And calling out, not calling out is almost a bad thing. I feel like it takes away a good learning point from everyone. But I think one of the thing I think about anonymity and like full place and anonymity, but one, I think one of the reasons you are not, I'm, I think one of the reasons you have to be polite to people in small places because they know who you are. And there's something about being anonymous in a city that means if you cut someone up, they don't know who you are. Mm. And with, I cut my neighbor up, and I didn't thank my neighbor, you don't have passing places. <laughs> if I make someone with a sort of single track, no, no you don't have that either, do you? I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> gosh. You must cut people on a tractor. No, I don't, but my neighbor does. But he's going to lend it to me when I put my gun. Just trying to think of like, no, when you cut someone up or put out in front of them in a city, you partly do that because they don't know who you are, and they're probably never going to find mm. out. And if it was your mum, you mm. probably wouldn't do that. But the whole thing about when you act a bit of a dick in an urban area, or even if you're rude to people, because you reckon no one will ever find out who you are. But the whole videoing people makes them not anonymous, makes them accountable. But actually, when mm. you live in small communities, you're all accountable because gossip and the community will know what happened. It'll get round. Okay, racism is a thing in smaller communities as well, but it's like, I don't know, it's different. It's just, they don't really see. But also, if someone's acting unacceptably, it'll get round that someone's a dick and they'll never be allowed to forget it. But it's kind of account. Yeah. It's making people not be anonymous in public and suddenly you have to be accountable for your behavior. And no one likes that. Yeah, yeah, there's that whole GMC thing, isn't it, about being identifiable, and it does mean that people behave a bit better. Yeah, yeah kind of. Should we move away from the negativity of those people and maybe do a festival? No. Yeah, let's do a festival. Let's, let's finish on a festival. So it's a festival. So here's one. It goes. Sometimes I deliberately put jars and their lids into the normal rubbish instead of the recycling bin. When civilization collapses and people are living off the stuff we put into landfill, an unbroken jar with a lid on will be a real find. It's interesting. Very interesting. What's your thinking about that. First of all, it's being nice and thinking about the future. That's really good. It's nice, isn't it? But then it's like, like a squirrel. Like, uh, squirrel. Oh, yeah. Well, a double, double-edged sword. And it's wasted. Is it? Potential wasted. I, I feel like it's not it's quite the right tone. Do you want another one? Here's one. I'm not sure if it's just me, but as I get older, it's taking longer and longer to wipe my ass. I found that having two or three wipes and then sticking a wedge of toilet paper out my ass when I pick out about an hour later, it saves me at least 15 minutes a day. So, geriatrician, Stephen, have you noticed this? Your patients? No idea why you're getting urinary tract infections, but it's a very And I tend to think that you probably are going to get urinary tract infections if you wet wipe. Most people with dementia, most people, if you get to five, you've got to you get dementia. But you should be able to manage this. And if you can't, then you really need to look at your cognitive function. What's really concerning? Yeah, true. Unless he's quite big. No, he's not rich. <laughs> what? What? I don't get that. <laughs> Maybe I'm missing yeah, something. Just, yeah, yeah, let's just leave it there. Yeah. If it, the only thing can give you a bottom line. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, let's finish on that. But yeah, thank you so much. I think you're probably going to be the first and only person we have come on the show who's had who lives a lighthouse. Yeah, I, I can't think. Of, I can't think of it. Yeah, that's a niche. That's a USP and a half. Isn't yeah, it? I can't wait to spend our holidays up there, though. Yeah, that sounds. You can come back to Ipswich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have a holiday cottage on Airbnb. So, um, <laughs> yeah, really, maybe I should check it out. Or I'll come do some locum shifts. Yeah, yeah, you should. Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> we want. This is not okay. So, we put it out. But I feel like plugging the holiday cottage. The awful thing about NHS Highland is consultant salaries go quite a long way. So almost everybody, most of the, con- the small talk is about your holiday, your Airbnb holiday cottage, and your Arga rather than golf, which, and given I don't play golf, it's quite good. I can do this. I'll put them in my cottage. So we've got a yeah, do it. I'll give it we've to got a cottage in a separate building, but we've also got like a self-contained two-bedroom. Because our house used to be two houses knocked into one. We've got it set up so we close the door, there's a self-contained like one-bedroom flat bit, mainly for when we have guests Super cool. that are staying who are basically treating it as a free Airbnb, which is fine. Oh, good. I'm just on the link now. It looks like Dina loved it. Dina loved it. I was at my wife doing for the... Should I put on the podcast episode or should I leave it? You're welcome to put our cottage on. Could you put a link to the, the um, consultant that needs to... If anyone's interested in working case less in one of the Royal Generals, um, I mean, seriously, because Australia's hostels on this model and Canada does, but we, mm. in the UK and Scotland, there's only five and people don't know we exist. I think Aberdeen graduates do because we have Aberdeen students and mm. a lot of the Scottish doctors do, but a lot of them seem to go not know we exist. Yeah. Mm. And I think there must be people, there must be people in London who I think you've going to New Zealand, we've got everything New Zealand have got. And we're also an hour from your, a full day's travel from your mum. So got bonuses. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can stick that link on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, no worries. You're welcome to our cottage. We're also advertising a consultant to his job. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so check out whichever one you're interested in. Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate you. Look, we were meant to have you last week, weren't we? And then we've been disorganized as usual. Yeah. And then thank you so much for giving us yeah. the time, your time to go ahead and do this podcast with us. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting week. There has been a few things about industrial action and all the stuff coming up again. I'm sure we'll be talking about it soon as things get kick off and carry on. There's lots of things going on with R&T. Maybe a few things to learn. Who knows? I think there's been some interesting, interesting things yeah, that come up, which we didn't go into. But anyway, good luck, everyone. Have a great week and let's not get cancelled which is apparently also a cultural thing as well which is not real according to one of the tweets but we can talk about that another day cool yeah all right then bye all right bye